Welcome to Third Church's T3 Family Podcast. Welcome to T3 Family Podcast, the podcast where we encourage and equip families to be all that God has created them to be. And I feel like I say this every podcast, but I am so excited for today's podcast, what it means for Third Church, uh, for you, the listener. Um, And so honored to have Allie Cramner, Pastor Allie Cramner and Pastor Keith Corver in with us today to go through um, our topic for this morning. But before we before we dive into that, welcome. So glad to have you here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah. And would you take a, a moment just to introduce yourself? Sure. Allie, I'll let you go first. Okay. So yeah, I my name is Allie Cranmer. I am the young adult pastor here at 3rd. We have been here about 10 years, 11 school years. So yeah. Um, I'm excited to talk about baptism today. It's going to be fun. I've learned a lot in the last 10 to 11 years by being at third. Awesome. And I should have mentioned this before. Allie has been a guest on this podcast before. So you're kind of a, yeah, you've got this, this roll down. Uh, maybe. <laughs> She's a veteran. She's a veteran. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Keith, first time sure. on the podcast. Yeah, Welcome. Glad, glad to be here. And I'm, I'm very passionate about this topic, actually. Uh, but I've been here at Third Church for about 18 years. And I'm the uh, ministry director, leader here, sort of. Uh, but we have such a phenomenal staff that uh, we just turn them loose and they basically share with me what they're doing and I bless. So I've been privileged to be a part of the staff for 18 years. Married to Chris, have three kids, they're married and eight grandchildren. So that's been our big highlight for the year. So wonderful to be here. I'm excited about this topic. Yes, there is a lot of excitement around this topic, and we have been waiting a long time, and I'm excited for our listeners to be able to hear both of your journeys um, through the waters of baptism, so so to speak. Before we do that, though, I'll just set it up. Before we dive into your journey with baptism, I would like to send a reminder. I know it's a crazy time. Some of our families might not even be aware of the recent bylaw that has been passed here at Third Church. And one of the conversations that you're going to hear us repeat um, a lot is, first and foremost, covenant is about relationship. And it's about relationship and being in Christ. And baptism is kind of the the right that is um, is is secondary to first being in relationship with with Christ. And so we have been traditionally a covenantal baptism church, which means that we invite families to accept the promises of God, um, an invitation into the covenant on behalf of their of their children. We do that through infants. And we are still going to practice practice that, practice infant baptism. But the the change in our bylaw is that that is that is the first part of baptism. The second part of a person's walk in Christ is that they can also mark it with baptism waters. And so we are going to allow once a child um, has made profession of faith or has come to saving faith, they are also allowed to be baptized, either through um, immersion, sprinkling, or dabbing. So um, that's that's the bylaw, that's the change that has come that we are so excited about. 
I understand also with baptism, sometimes you can hear some churchy words that we throw around. And so it's helpful to define those. Keith, would you, one of those words that sometimes gets confusing for people is the idea that baptism is a sign and a seal. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. To keep that at at a very high level, a sign really points to an inward reality that is shown in an outward form. So when we sprinkle infants with water, the reality is is that parents are accepting God's covenantal invitation for that child to be included in the church to be discipled. So when we view baptism uh, now with the bylaw change that we have, we see two possibilities that can happen under the the title or the umbrella of baptism itself. Uh, Katie just mentioned a few moments ago that baptism, baptism itself is a inclusion into the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so often I think we get confused with the rites of baptism versus what baptism is at its essence. So when we use rites of infant sprinkling or adult immersion, those would be signs or visible acts that point to inward spiritual realities that we then call seals. So when we sprinkle an infant and use the rite of sprinkling on an infant, it's covenantal inclusion or an invitation of the child into the family of faith. On the other hand, when a young person or an individual comes to faith in Christ and makes their profession of faith, they would be immersed or sprinkled or daubed, and that would be a sealing of their actual cognitive acceptance of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. So baptism is both a sign, an external sign, of an inward reality. That's a fantastic definition and explanation, Keith. Thank you. One thing is I work with families with baptism and other congregant members is because their church is so much of a melting pot from different denominations and different traditions that there is a misunderstanding of what baptism means. So thank you, Keith, for explaining that uh, to us. And Allie and Keith, I love you each come from different perspectives of what baptism means. And so to come into this new bylaw, um, it, w- it has been a journey for, for both of you. And so, Allie, for you, you came from more of a believer baptism tradition, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right, yep. And you mentioned earlier that you're excited to share mm-hmm. share your journey. Would you do that? Yeah, for sure. So my family started going to church when we were in second grade, um, and we started attending a large non-denominational church in the Chicagoland area. And our church practiced baby dedications, which really meant that the parents said, yes, we want to raise our kids in Christian faith or in a Christian way. And so... And really, I, if I'm honest, I think I grew up believing baby baptisms were wrong. Like, yep. I mean, I feel like that was the message being communicated. And the only way to be baptized was believer baptism. And so I wrestled with that quite a bit. I worked at a church before that was Lutheran, um, and they did infant baptisms. And then we came here. And the liturgies, I started noticing that the liturgy here, so the words that were spoken during the service— which is also known as the liturgy, um, were the pieces that were different between the Lutheran church and the Reformed church. And I remember one day going home and looking at my husband, Mike, and saying, oh, the words that are being used aren't salvation words, where oftentimes you hear that in maybe a Catholic service or a Lutheran service where your infant being baptized, this means they're saved. Sometimes you hear that. And so long story short, 
the Reformed tradition with baptism really looked at the covenant that God created us to be in relationship with us. And so the infant being baptized is really saying yes to the initiation that God had already put there. And I thought that was just so beautiful. I didn't realize all this until after our girls were born, and now that we have a six and an eight-year-old, so we didn't get our daughters baptized mm-hmm. um, because I just didn't understand infant baptism at the time. And I loved the idea, and I loved that my daughters could profess their faith and then be baptized and have that be a part of that moment. But as Mike and I have talked, and we went through learning more about infant baptism specifically one baptism, two moments over time, we left and looked at each other just saying, wow, if we knew the fullness of this, we would have totally gotten our daughters um, baptized as infants because the beauty that God had always created us for relationship, and this is us saying yes to like, God's God's hand out there and His promises for our kids. So anyways... um, yeah, so that's where we're at now. Our daughters still are not baptized. We're in conversation about how all this looks in this moment. <laughs> a couple things I love. Yeah. Well, I've had the honor of uh, walking with you in this. So yeah, I got sure. to mentor you as you were going through yeah. the commissioning pastor process yes. and, and looking at the sacraments and, and things like that. But a couple things you said that I think are just so key to highlight. Um, one, our... Our theology says that baptism is not a salvation issue. Yeah. This is a gift that that we receive. And I think that's a common yeah. misconception from a lot of different denominational streams. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's a great point. And the other one is you're still in conversation. Yep. It's a process, yes. and we invite the process, as as you and Mike are the spiritual champions yep. of Sweet Mercy and L. Mm-hmm. you are getting to, okay, so what is the next step in their spiritual right. journey? Yes, for sure. That's yeah. beautiful. Thank That's you. beautiful. Keith, how about you? You come from a covenantal yes. infant baptism, and there's yeah. been a journey towards more of the believer baptism. Exactly true. Yes, uh, my, my father and mother and our, our pastors, and long story short, I was sprinkled as an infant, and all through my uh, growing up years, I just assumed this is how it was done, never really thought through any theology or Bible application to it. And then I had a call to ministry, and when I went into seminary, I had a systematic theology class where Dr. Paul Jewett had written a bunch of books on anti-infant baptism, and so he was my systematics theology professor, and quite frankly, he blew my papers out of the water saying that they were invalid. Hmm. And so what it forced me to do, it forced me to really start uh, looking at covenant in the Bible to understand, is this in fact how God actually works with, walks with people who choose to follow Jesus through the ages? So what happened for me is I almost did not become a Reformed Church pastor because I had shifted to a point after my systematics theology class where I thought infant sprinkling was invalid. And so I worked through the idea of covenant with a couple of mentors, and I was able to actually sign the formularies in the Reformed Church with integrity saying, excuse me, I really believe in infant sprinkling, inclusion in the covenant, but throughout my whole life... I have felt that there's a lack in the Reformed Church in America's baptismal position, 
because there's nothing marking as a sign when per, a person would make their profession of faith. It was kind of open-ended and just, and just left there. Well, to accelerate my story a little bit, about 10 years ago, the Holy Spirit was working on me and, and asking this basic question in my heart and in my mind. I felt he was saying, Keith, what is tradition bound in your beliefs versus what is in the Bible as per revelation that I've given you? And so I really focused on the baptism question. And where I came to, which I don't believe was a correct uh, conclusion until a few years ago, was I asked the question, why couldn't a person be rebaptized? I mean, I couldn't find anywhere in Scripture where this could not be. So at any rate, three years ago, I run into a seminary professor, Dr. Chuck Van Engen, who happens to be a second cousin of mine that I did not know at the time. And 40 years ago, he had written a book, and it was titled, One Baptism in Two Moments Over Time. And quite frankly, the traditional RCA establishment church really denigrated his perspective that baptism is the idea of being included in Christ. And so, therefore, why couldn't there be two points in a person's faith pilgrimage where there could be an infant rite of sprinkling inclusion into covenant, and then an adult immersive event after they made a profession of faith? And so, for me, it's been like a 30-year run of moving from exclusively covenantal infant baptism without the possibility of an adult rite attached to it to holy mackerel. We have an opportunity here to have a broad spectrum of experience for people. And if I had to summarize my view right now, Paul in Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom for which we have been set free. And so in my own heart and mind, as I was struggling through this issue of baptism, when do we do it? How do we do it? I sensed the Holy Spirit was saying, Keith, the church has been asking the wrong questions here. We've been limiting the possibility of the sacrament. So one of my favorite verses in Scripture is now 1 Corinthians 13, 9, where Paul says, do you know that now we only see in part? And so what I recognized was every Christian tradition only sees in part the possibilities that God wants to offer through the sacrament. So my life has, has been broadening and God is getting bigger and the sacraments have broader meaning attached to them than just very narrow sectarian applications. So uh, for me, it's been a very, very freeing experience, and I've been praising God for it, and I've been trying to share this, and I'm really grateful we made the bylaw change because I just think the Holy Spirit is being given the sacrament of baptism back, uh, that in some ways through our traditions, we've hindered him. So that's kind of my story at this point. Both of you have brought up one baptism in two moments over time, and this is the this was the catalyst for the change in the, in the bylaw. Both of you also brought up that our journey in Christ is a process, and so I'm just going to summarize again. We believe that a significant milestone marker of that process is infant baptism. And I make this lame joke every time, so I apologize for those who have heard it quite a few times now in baptism classes and services. But now that I have teenagers, I do see the benefit of arranged marriages. Um, And that is a snapshot of what the infant baptism is, a commitment for the parents to create an environment as they partner with the church for the child to hear, experience, and receive God's love for them. And the baptism, the actual sprinkling, is an engagement ring. 
But that is as far as it goes. Like we mentioned before, we do not believe that baptism saves infants. It's at the age of discretion. So as they are brought up in these environments where they are learning and worshiping and experiencing the kingdom of God, at the age of discretion, the child or the student must accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And when that happens, there's the wedding. There's the other side um, of the of the process that Keith talked about a little bit. And we celebrate that wedding with baptism. Now, baptism means in Christ. We've talked about that before. And there are actually 12 different ways that it's used in the New Testament. And that's one of the things that we've been studying with this one baptism in two moments over time. Baptizo is used 12 different times in the New Testament. Sometimes it's when a believer desires to die to self and raise with new life in Christ and showing loyalty to Christ, uh, as we see in 1 Corinthians 1.13 and Luke 3, 3 through 6. Sometimes it is when they are welcomed into a body of believers, as we see in Acts 2.28, Acts 8, and there's other examples. And so this idea of one baptism in two moments over time, we have highlighted more information. This is kind of the high level of that. If you would like to see the 12 different ways that baptizo is used in the New Testament or more information about one baptism in two moments over time, we invite you to visit our website at trcpella.com backslash about backslash baptism. We believe that in one baptism in two moments over time, it's an inclusion of both of the sacredness of accepting the covenant at the beginning of a person's spiritual formation and then sealing that covenant um, when they come to the age of discretion. So, Keith, you mentioned this a little bit, the significance of covenantal sprinkling and kind of your journey back and forth with that. Anything that you'd like to expand on that? I would. Um, I think one of the things that we forget and I did not know this and really was not cognizant of it as I was um, learning more and more about covenant, was that the first Christians were Jews. And so as I put myself back into a Jewish church context in the book of Acts, I understood that circumcision was still practiced for the boys, but the early church needed a a, uh, sacrament that would include girls as well. And so the early church, through a process of metamorphosis and need, Paul says in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ. A sacrament was needed to include little girls as well. So the early church used sprinkling as that means of including little boys and little girls while they also continued circumcision for a time. One of the early church fathers named Origen is uh, noted historically as saying that the early church, which was composed of Jews, did baptize their children. And so that got me thinking, why in the world would they have done that? Well, they did that because they were covenantal in their thinking. They had been ushered into a covenant with God through Father Abraham, and now they wanted their children included in covenant as well. And so it was actually unthinkable for the early Jews not to include their sons and their daughters in covenant. Now notice that these children did not have a cognizant awareness of their faith, but they were being brought into a covenant agreement and relationship through their parents and through the faith-building community. Now, for me personally, uh, infant baptism is huge because, number one, I was baptized as an infant. And then, as you have stated so well, Katie, I was discipled over time. And and by age 15, I made my own personal profession of faith. But because of the constrictions in the Reformed Church at that time, 
they said, essentially, you do not need to be immersed because you were sprinkled as an infant. What I'm learning is, is those are two different events. So covenantal inclusion and a personal profession of faith are two different types of events. And as you have enumerated so well, there are 12 different meanings of baptism in the Bible. And hence, we call both of those events baptism when in reality they're both different rites attached to different points of the baptism spectrum. And that's where my thinking had to get sharper and sharper to understand that sprinkling, and I'll just use immersion as the main sign for an adult profession of faith, are two different things. Funny story, good story, great story. Uh, my daughter Kelly was baptized by my father uh, back in 1992, I believe it was. And I will never forget sitting on the, on the stage as my father was issuing the sacrament in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was taken in a vision and I saw links of chain coming down from heaven to the baptismal font where my daughter Kelly was being baptized by my father. In that moment, I understood that the generational promises of covenant that God has given to the Corver family were generational links coming down, and I was simply being obedient to offering my daughter into God's covenant of grace where she would be discipled over time. So I just think there is tremendous uh, wealth and benefit to infant sprinkling uh, because it matters. Uh, one of the interesting points that Chuck Veningen has just pounded into my head, children of believers are different from children of non-believers. They're positioned in such a way to not only be taught about Jesus, but to receive grace through Christ-centered relationships of mom and dad and covenantal community in the church. So in, in my mind and in my experience of uh, infant sprinkling, there's such a wealth there that we overlook sometimes because as modern people, we think we chose God. And that's what seems to be happening when a person makes an adult profession of faith. The truth is there's a deeper reality happening here, and that reality is, is that God always initiates covenant first and he invites us in. So that's why infant sprinkling is so blessed for me as I see covenantal continuity with even the children of Israel and Father Abraham by faith. Mm -hmm. That is a powerful story of the vision that you had from Kelly. And you know that's a vision for, I think, each family that has stood at the baptismal waters in their, their infants, the, the generation of grace handed down. Um, that's powerful. Now, Keith, question, what are you going to do with the new bylaw? By you have been sprinkled as yes. an infant, yeah. but now this permission has been yes. opened up to you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's funny, I was in Israel in 2018, and I was with uh, two other couples, uh, and we were at the Jordan River, and Mike Huckabee was leading the uh, that particular uh, oh, tourist event that we were involved with. Mike was really careful not to call the opportunity to be immersed in the Jordan a rebaptism because it's such a oh, firebrand kind of argument between various Christian sects. And as people were going in to be immersed, <clears throat> we were kidding with them saying, hey, our first baptism stuck. So we were kind of poking fun of them and they would smile and <laughs> wink at us in the whole bit. Mm -hmm. But uh, as I have now encountered this idea of one baptism in two moments over time, um, I'm believing I'm being led by the Holy Spirit to be immersed for two reasons. 
Um, the first one is, is when I was 15 years old, I made my profession of faith in front of 24 elders and deacons at Emmanuel Reformed Church, and I did it by myself. Uh, in Matthew 10, Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before our Heavenly Father and angels on the day of judgment. And so at age 15, I was convicted. I needed to go alone for my profession of faith because one day I'm going to die alone and I'll stand before the judgment seat. So I made my profession of faith and obviously was not immersed at that point in time because that was not an acceptable uh, thought. We, we just didn't have that larger view of what baptism could be. But now what I'm seeing is, is I actually want to punctuate and reclaim my profession of faith at age 15 now, and I'll be 62 when I do it. So I want to attach the sign of immersion to my inward profession of faith and embracing of Jesus Christ back when I was 15 years old. Now, here's the second reason why I believe I need to do this. Um, I have defended infant baptism to the hilt almost in a legalistic way as kind of an RCA company man through the ages, through, through my years as a pastor. I've sinned in doing this, and the Holy Spirit has convicted me of it. And so I want to be immersed as well to destroy and dismantle a lot of the religious spirit that has been a part of the tradition that I have grown up with. I mentioned earlier Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom for which we have been set free. And I believe that I have quenched the Holy Spirit's work through the sacrament of baptism by limiting its use in the churches where I have served. <clears throat> now, on one hand, I've been obedient to our polity and I've not done it because I've not had elder uh, clearance to do so. On the other hand, now with the bylaw change, we have a freedom now for people to consider this. One last story before I kick it back to you, Katie and Allie. I've had three times experience here at Third Church where I've had a young person who made a profession of faith, who were sprinkled as infants, come to me and say, Pastor Keith, may I be immersed when I make my profession of faith in front of Third Church? And because our polity did not allow it, I took a cold glass of water, metaphorically, and I threw it in their face, and I said, no, you can't, because you have already been baptized. In that moment, the Holy Spirit so convicted me that I had quenched the work that he was doing in this young person's life in such a beautiful way that I was actually hindering God's work in their life. I was hindering the view this young person had about what it means to be in the church in the body of Christ. Uh, so honestly, I've repented of that, and that's why I have been uh, a flag waver for this whole process of one baptism over time, because I have basically hurt people through our polity, which only sees in part what God wants to do in bigger ways. And so I know we'll talk more about this theme later, but um, those are some of my initial thoughts as per your question. So. As I'm listening to you talk, I'm just wondering the waves of freedom that this is going to open up and and, and your baptism specifically, yeah. too. Yeah. Can I comment again? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just, I can envision this already. Um, I, I witnessed uh, earlier this summer a fantastic service where I think Tom Vanderwell preached, then Katie, Allie, Brett, and Chrissy uh, performed the interrogation of some young folks. We had worship service, and then we had a message, and then during the final songs of the worship service, we had an immersion of three students, maybe five that day, but at the service I was at, there were three. 
there was a, this is a bad choice of words, but I don't know what else to use. There was a Holy Spirit magical moment that happened in that service where everything flowed to the glory of God. And so one of the things I'm hoping and praying for is as we open this process up of one baptism in two moments over time, can you imagine uh, a senior citizen, a woman, and I'm, I'm kidding the senior citizens because I'm becoming one here shortly, uh, <laughs> but she's the blue-haired lady. She just went to the beautician and had her hair dyed blue. <laughs> and she wants to be immersed, and she made her profession of faith as a teenager. Can you imagine what the Holy Spirit's going to do as we see these signs of immersing in water uh, as a evidence of an internal reality of people's love for Jesus and their willingness to humiliate themselves publicly to honor the Lord and to fully participate in uh, what He has been doing in their life through a very simple symbol that now we have freedom to exercise. I just believe great things are going to happen, things we can't script. Uh, so praise God that the church, our church voted for the bylaw change, and I'm looking forward to evidence of, of God's grace being manifest through the sacrament in greater ways. Mm -hmm. And the evidence of God's grace, if you had a chance to listen to the previous podcast, Shannon Judkins shared one of her favorite memories from her family is they did, before they got to Third Church, they all were um, baptized together and shared their testimony together. And that oh, is powerful. holy, sacred ground. So before in baptism conversations, it seemed like it had to be the either or. It couldn't be the both and. And what this is saying is, no, it can be the both and. And, and Keith, you talked about the significance of the covenantal sprinkling, but that's only part. So, Allie, could you just share some thoughts on the significance of believer baptism? Yeah, for sure. So, believer baptism is really a beautiful outward expression of the Lord's inward work. Um, in a believer baptism, we get to see the person come to the waters ready to make a public proclamation. And I love the words you used, Keith, a little bit to humiliate themselves. Because mm -hmm. how vulnerable is it to be fully immersed? And now water is making your clothes cling to your body in new ways that you never thought the majority of people were going to see before. Yep. But to make this proclamation that I am dying to my old self and I am a new creation in Christ. And so the water is washing away, is the symbolism of washing away sins and declaring that we're cleansed and rising up in the new creation that the Lord has declared. It was for freedom I set you free, and whom the Son set free is free indeed. And to be able to walk in that and walk out the new territory as a new creation. And so that's what I love about believer baptism is the physical action of what the Lord is doing inward. Because you can't necessarily enter into that and not believe. You have to believe to be able to have that symbolism happen. And so, yeah, so that's believer baptism in a nutshell, I feel like. So we've talked about kind of what it is, now processes of, of how. And Allie, this past six months or so, you and yeah. I have been able to partner with infant baptisms specifically. What is the process for those that are listening who say, Oh, I'd like to I'd like to learn more or I would like to move forward in getting my infant or child baptized. Yeah, great question. So, you know, we have these wonderful classes called infant baptism classes and there is like a no commitment 
piece to it, you can come and find out. And it serves between the, a bridge between the church and home. And it allows you to really just process, okay, is the Lord inviting us into infant baptism or child baptism? And we share the importance and the holiness of that moment and why third values that piece. And after you do the class, if you feel like, yep, the Lord is calling us into this, there is an invitation from the Spirit to do this for our family, then we connect you with a third church elder who will also enter into one of the classes. And then you get to have a conversation with them of what it means to take this step, but also they bless you. And then they'll be at that baptism service to bless and receive your child as well. And so It's such a beautiful moment, and I think one of the things that Katie has taught me throughout these last six months is that it really is an opportunity for parents to begin thinking differently about their child. If they haven't already started, but to begin asking the Lord, okay, from your perspective, Father, how did you create my child, and how can I speak that over my child? And I feel like that's where the infant baptism is really beautiful, because if you've never spoken that and that feels really uncomfortable, well, now you have this stage of a little bit, we're pushing you into that new territory, and it allows you to start praying into, from the Lord's lens, what is my child's creation? So, yeah. Those are a few of the steps. I agree with that, Allie. The infant baptism process here is just so beautiful. And what we remind families as they come into that that class, and we've, we've talked about this repeatedly on the podcast too, is be prepare your heart and your soul for sacred ground because mm-hmm. there is just something. God loves to pour out His grace and His love um, at the baptismal waters, and yeah. there is those are holy, holy moments. And I think especially they're holy moments for all of us, but I think especially for those families where they feel like maybe infant baptism is checking a, a box off mm. off of um, off of things and to to slow down in such an intentional way no this is about relationship and yeah. it's about accepting the gift on behalf yeah. of your your child thanks for walking us through those steps mm-hmm. Allie. appreciate that and now flipping over to what is the process for believer baptisms here at third church and here is where we have parents this is where a little confusion can come at times so parents who learn about covenant theology who learn about infant baptism and they have a child who's not yet at the age of discretion or has who is not yet professor faith but those parents would like to accept God's promises on behalf of their children, um, we invite them to go more of the infant-child baptism route. And um, we've, had, we've had that happen uh, quite a few times, actually, where we've had toddlers and children where the parents are in an infant baptism sprinkling where they are accepting they are accepting God's promises on behalf of, of their children. So that is if you have a, an older child and you're hearing about this covenant theology, but they have not yet professed Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you can go the infant baptism route and um, we will we will gladly uh, and joyfully welcome you um, into the baptism class. Now, parents who have a child who have professed their faith in Christ and desire to get baptized, 
um, students who desire to get baptized at the end of the profession of faith process, and adults like Keith's example who have never been baptized, we invite you to go to Third Church's website and complete the Believer Baptism form. What that form is going to do is then we will pair you with a Third Church elder, and we train our elders, and they will they will meet with you, and there's a booklet that you will go through together with that elder. The booklet will go through um, believer baptism, some of the things that we have covered here. It gives a little bit deeper dive into believer baptism, though, um, goes through details for your baptism service. And then at the end of um, the booklet is you will write your testimony, and you're going to be asked to share that testimony with the elder and a piece of that testimony with those gathered at your, your baptism service. And then we celebrate um, your baptism. So that's the process for what we're calling believer believer baptisms. As we wrap up this podcast, any closing comments, anything that uh, somebody said that maybe um, triggered something? Oh, I'd like to share a little bit about this. Or Yeah, I'd like to just add uh, what's so amazing to me about this idea of one baptism in two moments is... I think Katie or you, Allie, mentioned it earlier, we have such a wide spectrum of people here at Third Church who've come from various Christian traditions. And I've always laughed through the years as uh, I used to do a lot of our infant uh, sprinkling events, celebrations, you'd see people crossing their arms in the pews going, this is baloney, this isn't a real deal, this isn't a real baptism because they are not cognizant of their faith. Well, we've really plowed into the idea of covenant and we're inviting people to understand what covenant is. Then on the other hand, we have not closed the back end with an adult uh, or, or uh, profession of faith experience where immersion could happen. So in my mind, this is such a win-win process because the burden for how a person wants to move into the sacrament of baptism is with them and not necessarily with the elders of Third Church. Uh, in the past, you would have to go to an elder, and if you were sprinkled as an infant, they would tell you, no, you may not be immersed because this is not what we do in the Reformed Church. Well, here at Third Church now, we're leaving the burden with the communicant member. We're saying, it's up to you. How does your family feel in Christian conscience about infant sprinkling? And so if you would like to participate in that, you surely can. If you choose to wait until your children reach the age of discretion, you can do that. You could use water on both ends for infant sprinkling and with adult profession of faith, or just in one spot or the other. The point is, is how the sacrament is administered can be discerned through your own personal family uh, processing and discernment. And so in my mind, this, this opens up all the possibilities for blessing for people in good Christian conscience, in ways that they interpret scripture. And I want to just point out again, Katie, Katie said this earlier in the podcast, the rites of sprinkling and immersion have nothing to do with salvation. They're outward signs of inward realities, and there's freedom in the Spirit for you to move in that and to apply the sacrament of baptism in ways that are appropriate for your conscience, uh, according to the Word and Spirit. So I think it's a fantastic win-win opportunity for us. I'm excited for it, and I'll kick it back to you, ladies, for final comments. 
Yeah, I agree, Keith. I think the beautiful thing with it is it releases this idea of this is the prescription of having a child, of what it means to be baptized, and it allows Holy Spirit to engage people. So where the invitation from the Spirit is, that's where the hope is, at least you two correct me, but I feel like from third, the hope is that you listen to the invitation from the Spirit. And that's where you follow. That's where you engage. And I think that's really beautiful in this process because we know the Holy Spirit speaks to all of us differently. He's doing a good work in all of us, and we can trust that. But that may look different for each family, each person. And so we want to celebrate what Holy Spirit's up to, Mm -hmm. not the prescription of religion and rules. Well stated. This might be an oversimplification of all that we have talked here, but you guys know in, in our home, um, my, I've had a lot of this stuff laying on our kitchen table, the one baptism in two moments over time, the believer baptism, but, you know, I've been working on this uh, project at home quite a bit over the past couple of weeks. And uh, at one point, Jesse, my husband, he, he looked at me and just said, why? Why are you going through all of this? Why, you know, why are you pushing for change? All those kind of things. And I could really sum it up with, we at, I believe not only Reformed Church, but the Western Church in general, we have not done a good job of celebrating the goodness of God. And this is an opportunity for us to celebrate His goodness, His grace, and what He is doing and, and marking what He is, is doing in our, in our lives in a beautiful way as we are invited into it uh, on, on this process. Keith, would you be willing to kind of close our time with a with a blessing over yeah. this process? And Can I just over pray? Would that work? That would be fantastic. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you that uh, you're, you're taking blinders off of our eyes from uh, our traditional context that we come out of, and, and you're showing us that the sacraments are much bigger and broader than we ever could have imagined. And so instead of of the sacraments dividing us, you are opening up a pathway here uh, whereby we can be free to use the sacraments in such a way that they truly become a means of grace, a way of grace, an avenue to receive more grace from you. And so we thank you that there's freedom for people to discern in your spirit as they interpret your word, the Bible, about how to appropriate the sacraments that you have given us as means of grace, as both signs, outward signs, of inward seals and realities of what your spirit is doing in our lives, in Jesus. Uh, So we thank you for this time here to have this discussion, and we just pray it's a blessing and a stimulating blessing for many to uh, reconsider where they stand with you in regards to your sacraments to bless your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today, Allie and Keith. Great to learn from you. Thank you for joining us for this T3 Family Podcast. We hope it's been a blessing for you and your family. 